Pam Paget put her car up for sale recently. Her friend was interested in buying Pam's car. The friend borrowed the car for a test drive and took it to her mechanic to examine the car. That seems so strange to me, for she knows Pam well and should know Pam would conceal nothing from her concerning the car. Actually, Pam told her a fan was noisy, and the mechanic checked the fan and said it wasn't a big deal at all to replace some component. But the thing that I saw in it, I thought I saw in it, was how fearful the neighbor was. And yet, if she bought the car new, she would have to pay $55,000. Pam's priced her car at 6500 It has 74,000 miles or so and runs great. So people, though, don't recognize when they're really getting a good buy. And they hesitate and drag around. These things don't make any sense to me. But you see, they're going totally by the wisdom of the world. They're, going to, they're being wise in their own eyes. They want to brag that they got a good deal. They can't stand it if something goes wrong. I can. It just doesn't trouble me if something goes wrong. I know it's going to work out one way or another. We bought a new car about two weeks ago, an Acura SUV. And we got an SUV because Pam has two big dogs, big dogs. And we got an SUV, and Pam has an Acura, and she likes the way Acura drives on mountain roads and snow where we live in Colorado. So um, we test drove one Acura, which was a 2020, I we were checking also for the seat on the passenger side because I have a lot of pain. And just normally staying at home, I have a lot of pain from broken bones, previous broken bones. So we needed a seat that was as comfortable as possible for me. Well, it was. I didn't have any pain at all while we were driving in that 2020 Acura. But the color of the 2020 didn't suit us. It was a very dark interior. It's very hard for me to see if something's too dark. I wanted a lighter interior. So they had a 2019, a brand new one, on the car lot. And it has, uh, a, we liked it very much. It has an ivory color interior with a darker brown dashboard, but that's okay. So everything suited us fine, plus it was discounted by several thousand dollars because it was a new 2019, which suited us. Pam said, I want to drive that car before we choose it. So we took it out again a second time. Uh, I mean, the Acura, not the same Acura, but we took the one we were going to buy out a second time. Uh, Pam liked the way it handled. She liked, didn't have any problem with it at all. We got the new Acura, the 2019, and we went out to the dog park. The crazy dogs wouldn't get in the car, so we had to leave them at home, but we went on to the dog park. We enjoyed seeing the dogs, but the roads are a little rough there. 
and most of the roads, once you get inside the dog park, are not paved. When I got, when we got home, I was sort of tingling all over and hurting, and I, I didn't think much about it because I knew we were on kind of rough roads. The next day, we went out in the new car, and driving on paved roads, it was like, it was so rough, and there was huge noise coming from inside the motor. Well, that didn't bother me because I've already arranged to have a sound system put in the car. They will pack the car with insulation, and they will pack the motor with insulation. I have uh, an old 19... 94 Lincoln Town Car. They made cars to ride well in those days and they were very particular about sound. And plus I had sound insulation put in the car. So I realized my old 1994 Lincoln, which I still have, I put it up for sale, but in view of what happened, we took the sale signs off that car because I may have to keep it. What happened is this, the second day that we went out on just a short ride here in the city, like the grocery store or something like that, I, by the time we got home, I once again was tingling all over and had pain in my back and just pain. We took it out yesterday and had the same problem. I, I had less pain because I didn't wear the seat belt the way it's designed. I put a paper clip up there at the top of the seat belt to keep it looser. When it pulls me tight against the back of the seat, there's really pain. So I thought, well, maybe this will help. But I still had that tingling type sensation. The car is going in tomorrow to have all of the um, sound work done on it. They will put a foam padding under the carpet for sound insulation, and that may cut down on the vibration for me. Also, it's an all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, and if it goes into a two-wheel drive, and you can set it for that, that might help. I really don't know what to say, but no problem. I've got the old Lincoln. All we have to do with the old Lincoln is have the passenger seat rebuilt. I don't drive anymore. I just ride. So um, either way, it's going to be all right for me. I don't have to have a sure thing. The world does. I don't have to. And basically, when we are following God and praying about things, we actually, and hear from it, when we hear a word from God, we have a sure thing. But the world doesn't have any of the things that we have that go for us. They have to have a guarantee from a human. Well, as a child, someone came out to our house to fill a butane tank. We lived out in sort of the country, little village. Between the house and my dad's garage, he was a mechanic, and between my the house and my dad's garage, the guy was filling a butane tank. He was smoking and threw a cigarette down. The hose to the butane tank caught on fire, and he ran away and left the truck to explode. It burned down our house completely. When my dad, my dad got a lawyer. This was back probably in the late 40s, and they were 
trying to get money from the butane company to get a new house. The butane company just, they just filed bankruptcy so my dad didn't get a penny. Well, that's okay because what my dad learned from that is don't fool with lawyers. It just makes you <laughs> worse off. And uh, he, his, his dad said, don't fool with the government. Just don't take that. He had a farm, and they, those times they were paying allotments. If you wouldn't plant a certain amount of wheat or something, they were paying you not to plant on your land. And my grandfather wouldn't do it. He said, I'm not getting involved with the government. And he recommended to my dad, don't get involved with the government. I think... We, as Christians, real Christians, we have to have our faith in God. We have to have our hope in what God has shown us about situations. I've seen these people try to do sure things. My house in Texas was up for sale after I moved from Colorado. The people that ended up buying it are uh, college teachers over at Texas Tech. But they hired an inspector, which is what I guess most people do. They hired an inspector to inspect the house. Now, a realtor told me this. He said, it's the job of the inspector to find something wrong with the house. So he is going to find something wrong, even when there's really not much to report. Well, he found a few peddling things, didn't amount to much. So the People buying the house were, uh, they, I suppose it would be demanded <laughs> that we fix those things before they closed on the house. Well, that was okay. Um, what I did was this. The house was priced at 300000 I raised the price of the house by $7,000 to cover the things they wanted repaired. They could have done it themselves and bought the house at three hundred thousand, but they didn't do that. They backed off of the deal completely, and then they came back in two days and wanted to buy the house. Well, now the house I had priced it at three hundred seven thousand to cover the repairs. I didn't know how much the repairs were going to cost. I figured we could probably cover them for seven thousand. And they agreed to pay the three hundred and seven. Well, it ended up that the repairs cost uh, under two thousand, so they lost basically four thousand by the direction they went. They also wanted a uh, a warranty for on the house, so that if anything, I don't know, maybe air conditioning went bad or something like that, they it would be cared for in the warranty. The warranty cost six hundred, and they wanted me to pay for the warranty, so I just added six hundred onto the price of the house. They ended up paying for the warranty too. I have a friend who uh, who is the owner of three Remax um, dealerships, realty dealerships over in New Mexico, and Wes told me he just doesn't recommend those house warranties at all. It turns out that they really don't hold up, and they don't cover the repairs that you think they're going to cover. Pam said her next-door neighbor, who's no longer living, he had a warranty on his house, and when something went wrong, he would call them, and they would tell him, oh, the warranty doesn't cover that. And people want to live such insured lives. When we 
arranged to get the sound system put in the new car. Uh, they brought out the cost of it and cost of each item, and they had charged $700 to insure the speakers in case they had to be replaced. And I said, well, I don't want this insurance. It's like a warranty. And he said, oh, I really recommend it in case one of your speakers goes bad. I said, no, no, I don't insure anything that I can afford to pay for. So if the insurance, if, if the speaker goes bad, I can pay for that. Now, if it were a house, I might insure it because I wouldn't be able to pay for it, to replace it if something went bad. But that's the way I live. I don't spend every penny that I have. Therefore, I have some money left over when I buy something. And I have enough money to replace the item in most cases. I wouldn't in a house. I might not in a car. And I, there's and medical insurance, of course. I have Medicare. And I, I buy a supplemental policy because it is so out of sight at hospitals. You couldn't possibly afford to pay for that. But if I can pay for it, I don't insure a new vacuum cleaner. I sent my cleaning woman out a few years ago to buy any vacuum cleaner she wanted. Suit yourself. I don't touch it. It's yours. She came back with some kind of Sears product, and she had bought a warranty. I didn't think to tell her not to buy it. I didn't complain to her, but she said, I didn't know whether to buy this warranty or not. Well, I would have never bought a warranty on a vacuum cleaner or anything else of that nature. I just don't do it. But this world, they, it's like they've got to have a guarantee on life, a guarantee on everything. Well, we actually do have a guarantee. We have an absolute guarantee. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. We have an absolute guarantee to get God's wisdom as Christians. Or anyone else who would believe that scripture, if even if they weren't a Christian, I think it would be honored. But it's James 1 5. So, but the world has to live and guarantee everything and insure everything and have all these warranties and get as much credit as they possibly can and buy everything that they can charge. Uh, I don't live that way, and I hope you don't live that way. That is the way of the world, and if you choose to live that way, when the problems hit and the world goes down, you are going to go down with the world. So please think about your lives. Don't do that. I know this is correct. When I was born again in 1975, the one thing God told me immediately was get out of debt and stay out of debt. And I have lived by that for the, since 1975. I just know that well, look, we had this coronavirus hit in uh, March 2020 in the United States. Some of you might have had big mortgages and no job that you could go to. You suffered. We don't have any mortgages. We don't have any job anyway. But, see, you're going to suffer with the world when things hit, and things are going to hit, especially in the days ahead. We're going to come up on the Great Tribulation in the days ahead. So you've got a little space, maybe, to get your situation different, to get out of debt, to get things under control, to downsize if you have to while people are still buying things. 
the time will come nobody will buy anything. Uh, we know that by Revelation 18 because it says the merchants will weep because the things that might, once made them rich are gone and the people won't buy anymore. So the time is coming. So coronavirus, it gave us a little preview of the Great Tribulation. Even though the coronavirus is not part of the Great Tribulation, it gave us a preview of how fast life can change how fast everything can change overnight. All the businesses closed in the United States. It was incredible, just totally incredible. I couldn't wait hardly to see a picture of Times Square on television news because I remember New York City and Times Square. It was people inch to inch packed together. Traffic so heavy you couldn't even move. Everything just bogged down. The picture of Times Square, there was nobody on the streets and nobody on the sidewalks. I, I was shocked. See, that's how fast it's going to change with the Great Tribulation. And those things coming up on this earth, it will change so fast, you, you just won't know what hit you. So you're going to be in terrible condition if you're living like the world. If you're living to the top of your credit limit, I don't care how much interest is on anything. I don't pay any interest. I don't have any debt. I pay no interest at all. Zero interest. So I don't care what they do with interest. This is the way God showed me to live. I think it is a sound way to live. And I recommend that you very strongly consider whether or not you're living by the way of the world or by the wisdom of God and switch to the wisdom of God while there's still time, if there's still time. None of us know how fast this is going to happen. I don't have any doubt that we are somewhere really close to the threshold of where the, sh the heavens are going to be shaken first, and then Jesus returns second, and then the great tribulation comes third, then the heaven and earth will be burned up in the end and totally destroyed. And those who belong to Jesus will be taken to the new heaven and new earth, which is described for us in Revelation 21. So today let's look at this subject of putting our trust in God and what he says rather than putting our trust in insurance companies and having a sure thing with humans. You have an absolute sure thing each time you hear from God and do that instruction and put your trust in God. I've never seen it fail. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord, that's the word, with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, Acknowledge God. Pray over the situation, and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. This is the way people who are Christians are supposed to live. Also, one critical thing is prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think the most vivid illustration I have of a, a person who says they're a Christian not doing this scripture is my cousin. She's, she was 97 years old at the time. She told me this. She can't hear, so the only way you can communicate with her is by writing. So she wrote me a letter, and she said, I do so well during the day, but I get so lonely in the evenings. Her husband died 10 years ago. She still hasn't worked it out. So anyway, I get so lonely in the evenings. I was kind of happy because I knew the answer for her. I knew instantly what would help her. So I said to her, oh, well, all you have to do is when you start to feel that loneliness come on you, just stop and turn to God in prayer and say, please help me. Please help me to fill my evenings. Please help me not to feel lonely. That's all you have to do. And I quoted Philippians 4, 6. She wrote me about a week later, and she said, I do well during the day, but I get so lonely in the evenings. I just stopped reading at that point. God has been teaching me Titus chapter 3. After the first and second admonition, reject them. If they won't correct themselves, after the first and second teaching that you bring to them, just walk away from them, knowing they are subverted and sinners of their own selves. And they're not going to turn to God. After they show you a couple of times they're not going to turn, when you give them counsel, just walk away from them. Don't keep thinking that there's another teaching you can give them when they won't do the first one. And this is what God is teaching me. And so I... I'm learning to walk away. That's what I did with my cousin. I don't even know if she's still living. She was 97 when this happened. And I don't know if she's still living. I walked away. I don't live anywhere near her. I'm in Colorado and she's in New Mexico. Or was if she's still living. Now concerning purchasing things. The first thing I consider is. Does God really approve my purchasing this? Well, on the new car, we had all kinds of things showing that God approved it. We're working through the problems right now. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But we had all types of indication that God approved that purchase. I know it will. he will work it out to good, whatever happens. I know that. But to me, the starting point on any purchase is this. Should I buy this thing or do this thing? Should I, is that what I should do? I ask God what I should do. Here are two examples. The first concerned the house I had in Texas. It had a fireplace, but it was gas logs, and I never liked it. One day I was driving down the street, and a man pulled up beside me who had a pickup and a trailer on it, and he had on the trailer wood that he was delivering to somebody for a wood-burning fireplace. I looked over at the wood, and I thought, oh, I wish I had a wood-burning fireplace. And I clearly heard these words in my head, you can do that. 
And I thought, well, I could do that. I never even thought to, I thought of changing from gas logs to wood burning. But I, I sat there and considered it. Yes, I could do that. I have the money to pay to have the fireplace people come out and take the gas logs out and set up set the fireplace up for wood burning. I had the money that I could pay for the wood. It wouldn't take all of my money to do those things. I had lots of money left over after doing that small job. So I went about it immediately. The very next day, or perhaps even that day, I called the fireplace shop and began discussing this with them and set up an appointment for them to come and remove the gas logs. Why do you wait when you've heard from God? If you've heard from God to do something and you know it's God, what are you waiting for? People, some people say, well, I'm, I'm going to pray about this. And they, they just carry on and for days. If you know God's shown you to do something, what are you waiting for? There was a woman in our church group. She's no longer with us. But she reported to me in approximately maybe March that in November, God had told her these, this, quote, now is the time to get a dog. Now, that was in November, when she told me in March, she still hadn't gotten a dog. By about July, she found the dog she wanted and got a dog. That is no way to deal with things of God. If he tells you now is the time to do something, now is when you do it. I don't know what you're waiting on. And if you've heard from God and you have permission to do something, what more do you want? I did, it makes no sense to me at all. Another example, uh, I, I bought a TV a few years ago, and it was defective. It just looked awful. It had black streaks running on one side of it from top of the screen to the bottom. Now, I can't even remember whether or not I prayed about that TV, about even getting the TV. That's been years ago. I don't remember if I even prayed about it. But I, but God's going to work it out. Even if we make a mistake, he'll work it out. So I tried to get it to tune it. I couldn't tune it with my tuner. I asked the dealer to come and calibrate it, which he said he would, but he wouldn't, and he didn't. And I kept trying to tune it with the tuner. And one day... I was sitting there trying to make those black streaks less visible when I clearly heard what I knew to be from God. You don't have to put up with this. I sat there just kind of stunned, like a lightning bolt had hit me. And I thought it over and I said, you're right. I don't have to put up with this TV. It was not even a year old. I don't have to put up with this. I have the money in my savings to go buy a new TV and have money left over. I wouldn't spend all of my savings on anything. I went that same day and found a TV, bought it, and had them arrange to have it delivered and have the old TV, the one that was only less than a year old, the new, the new old TV, carried away. Now, that's not the wisdom of the world. 
the world would say, now you paid all that money for that TV. You need to use it. Well, that's not what God said to me. He said to me, you don't have to put up with this. And I didn't. And I had peace. To try to live with that defective item takes your peace away. I just don't live that way. If I can pay for the other item, and if I feel I'm approved by God. Now, how do we know if we're approved by God? James chapter 3, verse 17 tells us, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So if something is going to cost me more money than I'm able to pay comfortably, I don't buy it. I would know I don't have God's plan. The money thing would tell me immediately I don't have God's plan if it costs me more than is easy to be entreated. The way of God is pure. It's not based on the wisdom of men. God really wants us to live in peace. One of the things that Peter said is, be diligent that when Jesus comes, he will find you in peace without spot and blameless. That's Second Peter three, fourteen. The wisdom of God is much higher level than the wisdom of men. Men have to be wise in their own eyes. They have to get a good deal. They can't stand it if somebody cheats them. Well, God will repay us. He'll make it so it works out fine, even if we make a mistake or even if they defraud us. We'd rather not have them defraud us, but we don't have to go through all of this rigmarole that the world goes through. It just steals your peace and makes you wise in your own eyes and builds up pride. I, I don't want to live that way. I, I just pray that I don't ever live that way. Now, if you are in envying and strife, it says in James 3, there's confusion in every evil work. So if there's any envy or strife in what you're doing, you got to back off and get clean. And I, I've often prayed Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If I've had a conflict with another human, I pray that over myself, trying to get myself restored through God. The Lord is my shepherd, and it says, He restoreth my soul. I found that every time I'm in a situation where there is strife or conflict, God does something to restore my soul and give me peace and joy in His Word. He restoreth my soul. So if you're in envy and strife, you have to get free from the envy and strife. Because in that situation, there is confusion and every evil work. James chapter 3. I had a cleaning woman come to me one time, and she was, she'd been watching the way I lived. And she said to me, don't you ever feel like you have to keep up with the Joneses? I was shocked, and I just looked at her, and I said, no. No, I don't ever feel I have to keep up with my neighbors and buy a car or clothing or anything to keep up with anybody. And she said, well, that's amazing. 
She'd been watching me closely for the years she'd worked out for me, and she saw I'm different. This was a Catholic woman. She told me the most interesting story. She said that one time they, they, this priest was assigned to the church she attended, and she said, I don't know what happened, but I could not call him father. She said, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I'm sure she didn't know the scripture, and I don't think I even told it to her. But in Matthew 23, Jesus says, call no man your father. In that case, I knew there was a supernatural act of God keeping her from calling this Catholic priest father. I hope you know that there is no such thing as a priest in the New Testament church. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament church, there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry. That's what Jesus gave to the church after he ascended. That is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I have a charge card, but I don't buy anything. I don't charge anything unless I can pay for it immediately. I got my bill just a week ago from Visa. I was amazed to see that they've given me $18,000 line of credit. It doesn't matter to me. I don't charge anything unless I have the cash to pay for it. It's easier to get gasoline and charge it, so I do. Things like that, it's sometimes easier to charge your food. But I pay for it as soon as I get the bill. I don't pay any interest. I had a credit card company one time who took away my credit card because I didn't have any debt. It was MasterCard. That's the first credit card I had. And they wanted me to consolidate my debt, and I put it on MasterCard. I didn't have any debt. I did not have any. So I just got a Visa card at that point, and for years I've had, uh, decades I've had a Visa card. I do not live in debt. God told me not to do it. He said, get out of debt and stay out of debt. If I were in your situation and had that big mortgage, I would downsize so fast it'd make your head swim. That's what I would do, unless God stopped me. I don't think he would stop me. I would do something to get out of debt. I would do it through prayer. I would try to be sure that I was approved by God to do that. But that's one thing I'd sure want to do. How do you, how do you think you feel if you approach the judgment seat of Christ or taken off this earth? We're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what happens if you're standing at the judgment seat of Christ and you've let all, you have left this earth owing people and they're not going to be repaid by your relatives or anybody? They're just going to have to suffer loss because of you. How are you going to answer for that? I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't want to answer for that at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to suffer loss. That's all there can be. Some kind of loss is going to happen, and it's eternal loss. Now, if you will follow God, let me show you what will happen. He will work miracles in your life before you even need the money you're going to have. It. 
if you're following him. I was born again when I was about 37 and told, get out of debt, stay out of debt. I lived in a very modest apartment, and within five years I was put in, I was in the ministry within five years of the time I was born again. I had no salary. I didn't work for any church. God put me on radio in, uh, in the, at the end of the five-year time. I had radio bills to pay. Some people gave offerings, and I paid the bills through that. I couldn't have a house. There was no way I could have a house because I couldn't get a mortgage. I wouldn't be able to go and take out a mortgage. I didn't want to. And secondly, I'd been told by God, get out of debt and stay out of debt. And that's exactly what I was going to do. I never dreamed I would ever have a house on this earth. Here's what happened. My dad died in 82, and my mother was by herself in Clovis, New Mexico, USA. I could work from anywhere. I could do the ministry from anywhere. It was radio at that time, and I could broadcast from Clovis, New Mexico. All I did was use cassette tape recorders and put it on tape. I could do it from anywhere that I lived. So I decided to move to Clovis, New Mexico and be there to sort of help my mother. We owned a very small lot where it took care of four trailer houses. So I figured I could buy a trailer house. I had enough money to buy a trailer house. I was going to buy a trailer house and put it on that lot in Clovis and live next door to my mother who lived in the trailer house. But when I went to look at trailer houses in Dallas, I just didn't like the feel of it. I didn't like the instability I felt. It ground kind of shook, and I just didn't like it. Now, God reminded me of something extremely strange. You would think I would have remembered this. I inherited from my dad $50,000. I was so busy at the time he died, uh, I was on radio coast to coast in the United States. I was traveling to radio cities and having meetings. And I was just really, I, I, my mother said, what do you want me to do with this money? And I made the statement, I don't care what you do with this money. She put it in a CD in, at the bank and just let it draw interest. And I forgot about it. And I was reminded of that CD. I, and I went to Clovis and met, met with a builder, and he told me he could build me an apartment on that trailer lot that we owned, and it would cost $45,000. So I had the money to pay cash for that apartment. So I told him, go ahead and build it. My mother's trailer parked, well, she was parked on the other side of the apartment. I didn't like living in that location at Clovis. It was just noisy and unsuitable for me. I was very unhappy living at that location. But I loved the apartment. So I decided to buy a lot for $13,500, I think it was. No, $13,350. It was a lot on the golf course. Because I decided, well, it, I had the cash to pay the 13350 for the lot. So I bought a lot. 
I decided that even if I didn't get to use the lot to build on it, I could sell the lot in that location. Well, I had the lot, and five years passed with my living in a, the location I didn't like. And I decided that I would put the apartment up for sale, and I would use my mother's money and the money I'd inherit as I had from the sale of the apartment and build a house on the lot on the golf course. My builder said he could build it for a hundred thousand. I had a hundred thousand when I counted everything. So I built a house on the golf course, moved my mother into the house with me. She lived there until she died. And that was ten years. Ten years passed, and I was in a grocery store and ran into one of the real estate women that I played golf with, and I knew her pretty well. And I said, how are things going, Bonnie? She said, Joan, it's great. I was shocked because real estate in Clovis was never thought to be very good. She said, it's just been great. We are selling every high-level house that we can find. If it's 100000 or more, we're selling it. People want it, and we've got big customers. So I was thinking, oh, I wish I could sell this house and move back to Texas. My mother died about two months after I saw Bonnie. I put that house up on, she died on, I think, a Sunday or Saturday or Sunday. I had that house on up for sale by Monday. People would say to me, now, you need to wait six months before you do anything. Well, I didn't need to wait a day. I didn't want to live in Clovis. I lived there only because my mother lived there. That's a worldly saying. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells me to wait six months before I did anything. God told Abraham, leave this place and your family. And what did, God, what did Abraham do? He left. <laughs> I don't think he wasted any time leaving. Well, God didn't tell me to leave, but I wanted to leave, and he approved it. So I put the house up for sale in Clovis and planned to build in Lubbock, Texas. I had been given a dream about a year earlier that I was building a house, and I was saying when I had that dream, I'm not building a house, I have a house. I didn't even have any plans to move from Clovis at that point that I had the dream. But then my mother died. I was free to move back to Texas. So the house is up for sale in Clovis. It sells, it clears $227,000. That was the check I received from the realtor. It cost $100,000 to build it. I received a check for $227,000, which I moved to Lubbock with that check and my personal money, and what money my mother had. At first, I met with realtors concerning um, uh, buying a house in Lubbock, but then I had that, I'd had that dream about two years earlier that I was building a house, and I just wasn't happy with what I was seeing. So I met with this contractor, and he, he was a wonderful contractor. We were going to meet at Barnes & Noble. We did meet at Barnes & Noble. I had never seen him before, but he says, I'll meet you at Barnes & I mean, I will meet you at their coffee shop at Barnes & Noble. And I said, well, how will I know you? And he said, well, I'll be wearing an orange sweatshirt. <laughs> I got to Barnes & Noble at the meeting time, and Tom was standing at the counter ordering coffee. He turned around, and he was totally covered from 
his neck down to his waist with concrete. And I thought, this is the man for me. <laughs> he wasn't going to subcontract all this stuff out and sit there with a suit and tie. He was covered with contract. He was on the job working. Well, sure enough, I told him. I, uh, he took me to see one of his houses. It was wonderful. I said, the only thing that would keep me from signing a contract with you is I don't know if I can afford you. So we worked up a deal, and I signed with him, and Tom uh, built his house for me in Lubbock, Texas. When I fell in 2019, I knew, I, God said to me as they were rolling me out past the door, my front door of this house that I lived in in Lubbock, the Holy Spirit said to me as I reached the front door, I was on a gurney, the ambulance workers were rolling the gurney, I heard very clearly, you will never see this house again. They put me in the hospital in Lubbock, operated on me, put me in a rehab hospital, and I moved me to another rehab hospital. I was there two and a half months after surgery in a rehab hospital, in two rehab hospitals. I knew I would never be going back to that house. I was 81 years old by that time. I'd lived alone, and I didn't want to live alone. One of the members of the body of Christ of our church group took me into her house in Colorado Springs. It's wonderful here. I love it. Well, the house in in Lubbock sold, and we had that money that we could repay ourselves the expenses we had incurred. I had some expenses. Pam had come to Lubbock four times during that period of time I was in the hospital. She had come to Lubbock to check on me and to help me. One time she had to help me get to a doctor's appointment and had to have me brought back to the rehab center by ambulance. I was in such bad condition, I couldn't stand the car ride. I couldn't stand waiting on the, the uh, car that the rehab center would send. I came back in an ambulance from the rehab center. She came, I was in bad shape. I didn't know if I'd live or die. I was not asking God to live. I, I really didn't care. I wasn't depressed. I knew it would work out whether I lived or died. So we had to spend quite a bit of our own money to pay for things during the period of time when the house hadn't sold. And it finally sold and we could repay ourselves. In March 2020, at the height of this coronavirus thing, I very clearly had an instruction from God. Sell all your old sound equipment that you don't want to use. Sell it now. So I called Pam to come downstairs. Her room's upstairs. And I said to her, what are you working on right now? Because she does all the technical work for my books and she does the technical work for the blog. And I said, what are you working on right now? And she told me, and I said, well, stop that immediately. I, I've heard from God, get this sound equipment sold. Stop doing all the ministry work. Take all this sound equipment, get it on audio uh, gone is the name of the internet uh, place where you can sell high-level sound equipment. Get it on, listed on Audiogon, and let's start selling it because that's what I heard to do. Well, it sold like hotcakes. One man said, well, you can't expect to sell sound equipment in the midst of a coronavirus. Well, we did. We listed it, and we, 
one piece of sound equipment went to Hong Kong. The guy from Hong Kong paid the shipping, but we had, sometimes we would have as many as three or four people trying to buy the same piece of sound equipment. We accumulated over $13,000 in cash from the sale of all that sound equipment. With that thirteen thousand, there was I. I bought a new uh, preamp, which runs my home theater system, cost four thousand, and the rest of it we just let it sit there. We didn't know we were going to buy a new car. We didn't know any of these things. A half a year passed, and I had a dream I was buying a new car, and God also confirmed the car situation. So. And buying a new car, and then after it was bought, I was going to take it and have sound equipment, have it upgraded. I always do that with my cars. They put um, insulation inside the car that blocks noise from the road. They put insulation inside the motor that blocks motor noise. I'm very sound conscious. And so they were going to do all this work. Well, I had enough money in my personal savings to pay for it. But Pam heard, what about that money you got from sale of the sound equipment? She said, oh, we'd forgotten about it. We put it in a bank account, just forgot it. She put it in her bank account and never thought of it anymore. So she came to me and said, I just heard, what about that money that you used from, bought, got from that sale of that sound equipment? You can use it and pay for the sound you're doing on the new car. And we had money left over after we did that. See how God set it up? He set it up told me to do one thing, I did it, and then that money accumulated, I didn't spend it, except for the preamp, which I needed to run my sound, my theater, my home theater system. And all the rest of it just sat there until the need arose. When the need arose, he reminded me we had the money, we used part of that money, almost all of it, for the sound equipment in the car, but we had some left over even. See, that's the way God operates. When you will follow him, you've got a sure thing. You've got the thing that all of these people are trying to have. It's a sure thing. Two scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I get emails from these phony pastors all over the United States and world. And they're telling of all their works. They're going to build a hospital. They're going to build a place for old folks. They're going to build a school. They're going to take in orphans. Send me your money. Well, I know God's not leading them. If he was leading them to do these works, they would have the money. Because I've had so much experience with him. I know this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the second thing is this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. What is that power that works in us? The Holy Spirit is that power. He reminds us of things. He brings concepts to our mind showing us what God wants us to do. When we do those concepts, we have that money without even trying. This is the way you follow God. If you, now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't follow the Holy Spirit. You don't belong to God if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. 
Ephesians 1, all who believe in God have the Holy Spirit, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, teaches us all things, reminds us of everything that Jesus says, and shows us things to come. Those are two passages of Scripture that I've followed for more than 40 years. They are in John chapter 14, verse 26, and John chapter 16, verse 13. I ran my business with these scriptures. There was a guy that came to Dallas in the years I ran my, the business I owned. It was an Indian arts business, and he said that when he called to inquire who to talk to, they told him to come talk to me. His wife in Houston was putting in an Indian arts business. So he called me and said he wanted to come talk to me about business. I said, oh, I don't know a thing about business, nothing. But he insisted. I, I was just try, I did everything I could do to keep him from coming to Dallas to talk to me. I don't know anything about business. He arrived in Dallas, and he came to my shop, and he identified himself and said, he is a graduate of Harvard Business School. And I just said, oh, God, get him out of here. So the first thing he wanted to know was about my marketing plan. And he kept on about that, and he wouldn't leave. So I said, all right. First thing, I'm a Christian. So when I get ready to go out on a buying trip to buy merchandise, I pray for God to have that Indian artist make the items that I need for the shop. When I get to the reservation, I'm praying for God to show me the exact items to buy. And when I return with the items, I'm praying for God to send the angels out to get the customers to come in and buy the items. He stares at me and he says, well, that's a form of marketing. (laughs) And he left. (laughs) But it was. That's how I ran the business. I ran it with those two scriptures. John chapter 14, verse 26, and John chapter 16, verse 13. I never had an item that didn't sell. Sell. I never had a sale at my shop. I never put anything on sale. In all the years I ran the business, the only time I ever had, did, I did one time put items at less 10% because I was closing my business to go into the ministry. So I sent a card to my customers saying, effective immediately, all items would be less 10%. I was closing my business July 31st to go into the ministry. Everything sold within three days. I happened to be in Fort Worth the day that um, the sale started. The woman who worked for me called me uh, that night and said, Joan, I want to warn you, when you go into the shop tomorrow, almost everything is already sold. We just don't have any merchandise. She said, I didn't want you to think that something bad had happened. Well, they had gone through that shop like a whirlwind the first day. This is the way God works. When we'll follow him, when when we belong to him, hear from the Holy Spirit and do what we're told to do in a timely way. And I don't see why you wait if you've heard from God to do something and you know it's God. What are you waiting for?
Thank you very much for letting me speak to you today.